as our Cactus campus and then our Mountain Valley campus and as our venue across this campus and then our chapel next door join us for our time in the Word. I hope that after having all of us worshipped that you're now prepared to talk about God's truth. That's the design behind it. All week long, our creative arts people under Troy's leadership uh, look at what we're going to be doing in the Word, and they ask God what would be the best way for us to prepare our hearts for our time in the Word. So today, we've sung a lot about Jesus and uh, focused on Him, and uh, we hope that that kind of primes your spiritual pump uh, to get ready to talk about what we need to talk about. So we're going to do a deep dive today into the Word of God, and so won't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for worship. I thank you for this idea that you gave us to bend the knee before you, to quiet our hearts before you, to focus our minds upon you so that we, Lord, might uh, be prepared to hear what you have to say to us. And so I pray, God, that as we have sung to you, as we have been sung to as we've been encouraged by Mark's story of, of healing and growth and fellowship, I pray, God, now that as we open your book, that you would speak to us, each of us individually, and then collectively as a whole. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And the church says together, amen. amen. So here's one thing that you and I can agree on this morning, and that is that the spiritual landscape in America has changed dramatically in the last few decades. Give me a head nod that you all understand that. I mean, more so in my generation than I ever thought would happen. I, I, I mean, you know, just even three or four decades ago, Christianity, or what we might call the Judeo-Christian worldview, was seen as kind of the gold standard here in America. Not that we tried to poo-poo other worldviews or anything like that, but the reality was is that the world I grew up in in the Midwest was just rife with Midwest values that came from the Bible. And even if you didn't go to church a lot, you kind of agreed that Jesus is who he said he was and all of that. And, and I never thought that that would actually change. But the reality is, is that pluralism has, has just taken over our country, it's taken over our postmodern world, and culture watchers actually say we now live in a post-Christian world, whatever that means, uh, really for the, one of the first times in the western half of the world in the last 2,000 years, Christianity is seen as only one of quite a few options if you happen to be interested in religion or spiritual things. And that's really what this all boils down to. As much as America might be more pluralistic now, they really aren't any less spiritual. You ask your neighbor, ask the guy at the bar, ask your coworker, ask your fellow student, just watch a primetime show. The vast majority of Americans are still spiritual in nature. I mean, we don't have a bunch of atheists and materialists running around or naturalists. They still have a spiritual interest and a spiritual thirst. It's just that they're not as into religion, going to church as much, and they see Christianity as simply one of a few good choices if you happen to want to be spiritual. But we live in a world and culture in which there are a lot of pathways in people's minds to the divine, a lot of spiritual choices if you are interested. And it's one of the major ways our country has changed in just the last few generations. 
I think a great example of this was an article that I read a few years ago in the uh, magazine Technology Review, and it was an article by David Cameron, and it was actually on spirituality in a magazine like that, and he was writing uh, about uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology and all the spiritual options available there. Listen to what he says. This blew me away. He says, the religious options at MIT are so diverse that a freshman arriving at orientation in search of a faith could spend the next four years sampling every conceivable spiritual path without ever having to cross the river. He says, MIT's board of chaplains currently is made up of three Jews, one Roman Catholic, five mainline Protestants, five Protestant evangelicals, a Mormon, a Muslim, two Hindus, and a Buddhist. He goes on to say, there are then more than 30 registered student-led religious organizations. I'm telling you, gang, the religious landscape of America has changed. And again, to be clear, spirituality is still in vogue. People are interested in spiritual things just as much today as they used to be. It's just that they are also increasingly broadening their spiritual palate to investigate other forms of spirituality other than Christianity, which dominated the West for almost 2,000 years. Now, it's in light of this reality that you and I deal with that I believe it's very necessary for us as Christians to answer a critical question that the plurality of faith options in our world demands. And here's the question. How, philosophically and theologically, can there be so many choices or pathways? Have you ever thought about that? If it's true, as the Bible says, that God is one, and that he has revealed himself plainly and evidently in creation, in history, in our consciences, and even in the scriptures, then how can there be so many different religions to choose from? Or to put it most simply, if the God of Jesus and the Bible is so evident, then how can there be so many different options? You see, many of us don't think about that question too often because we're already in our lane and we're in our spot and we're focused on Jesus. But here's the point. Our seeking world today asks this question all the time. It's one of the questions I get asked all the time by people who don't know Jesus. They basically say, well, if it's so obvious that Jesus is the way, then how can there be so many different choices? And you and I as Christians need to be able to have an answer to that question. And it's a question I want to answer today because our seeking and interested culture depends on it. And the very short answer to this often and honestly asked question is this. And that is that it all goes back to the fall. I'm telling you, it all goes back to the fall. And some of you are going, I don't get it. You will in about 25 minutes. In fact, this is our main point today. And it's so very important for us to understand. And it's this, that in the fall of humankind, our view, meaning all of humanity's view of spiritual truth became fractured and eclipsed. Now, let me repeat that. If you don't hear anything else today, just latch onto this. In the fall of humankind, our view of spiritual truth became fractured and eclipsed. So here is what the Bible affirms, and that is that all humankind has sinned. We call it the fall of humankind. 
We've all gone our own way. We've all done dumb things. From birth, we are born imperfect. And the way that the Bible explains that imperfection is calling it the fall. And they tell the story of Adam and Eve and how humanity was originally perfect. But then there was a choice made by Adam and Eve to not be perfect and to choose to eat from a particular tree. You guys have all read the story. And that that propelled humanity into a fallen and separated state from God. And what the Bible says further is that when that happened, now watch this, our view of spiritual truth, which is simply truth about God in the spiritual realm, became fractured and eclipsed. So much so that on their own, humanity does not see clearly anymore simply using our own devices like our minds and our rationality and even our hearts to discern truth about God. And this is what the Bible affirms. It all goes back to the fall. The point in time when humankind sinned, went their own way, and this created a separation from God and the creation that he loves. And a part of that separation is a massive amount of confusion about who he is that has fractured and obscured our view of him. So the Bible actually kind of gives this analogy of sorts. It says it'd be kind of like looking in a mirror. And when you guys look in a mirror, you know that you see a perfect reflection or image of what you're looking at. But if you were to take a hammer to that mirror and smash it, what would happen? Well, it would all be fractured and, and in different pieces. And if you ever, and we've all seen things like this. You can still look in the mirror, but the shape now is distorted. You don't see all of it. And it's kind of a different view than you would have had before you cracked it. That's what God says has happened to humanity. We look through a glass dimly. We look through a fractured mirror at God. And this eclipses and even obscures our view of what he is really like. Now, it's in light of this, this truth here that we're latching on to, that I want to break it down even further and try to understand, well, then, how can there be so many choices even given that? I want to go deeper in this understanding of what it means that truth has been fractured and eclipsed. And to see this more clearly, I'm going to share with you three things that the Bible says, kind of going deeper with this idea here, when it comes to humanity's discerning of spiritual truth in general. Three things the Bible says that when added together are going to help us understand both how and why there can be so many spiritual choices given our understanding of the fall. And here's the first thing the Bible says, and it actually starts off very positive, believe it or not, and that is that in a fallen world, people can learn certain truths about God, now watch this, through rational inquiry and intuitive knowledge. I know this is a mouthful, but you need to latch on to this. In a fallen world, people do learn things about God through simply using their own minds, rational inquiry, uh, inquiry, and then the intuitive knowledge that they have in them by ones being made in the image of God. And what you need to realize, gang, is that this really is our starting point in discussing this idea of how there can be so many choices. Because with this fracturing of humanity's view of spiritual truth, people still can learn some things about God. Now watch this. On their own, without ever reading the good book or without ever darkening the door of a church. They can. 
They're looking at that image. It's, it's cracked and it's obscured, but they can look closely and, and discern some things about God. And this is why there are plenty of other religions out there today, as we're going to see in a minute, and worldviews that say some correct things about God. Why? Because God made this world so that we are in his image, and even in our fallen state, everybody knows some things, some true things about God that they can discover, if you will, on their own. If you don't believe me, look at how Romans 1, verses 19 and 20 say this to us. We're going to park in front of one verse today, uh, five, five or, I'm sorry, one uh, piece of scripture, five verses, Romans 1, 19 through 23, and look at how the first two verses set this up for us. And I'll just give you a quick context. It's talking to all of humanity here, all humanity. It says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, meaning humanity, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now, simply notice at this point in our look here at Romans 1 that it is telling us that certain truths, that there are certain truths about who God is and what he is like, did you catch this, that are evident within humanity, meaning through intuitive knowledge uh, that all human beings share as, share, as well as there is evidence about God that is evident to humanity, that we discover through creation and through our rational minds. And don't miss that it is through this evidence within and this evidence to humanity that when it comes to God's nature and his power and even some of his attributes, think about that, gang, what he is like, that he is good and just and holy, the attributes of God that humanity clearly sees. I'm using the words of Scripture here. Clearly sees these things and they understand some truths about who God is and what he is like. Hey, give me a head now that y'all are understanding this. This is really important for where we're going here. That, that all on their own, humanity can discover some true things about God. And this is what Christian theologians for thousands of years have referred to as natural theology. Natural theology, simply the fact that lost humanity can discover truths about God and the spiritual realm simply through looking around at this world, thinking long and hard about how it came to be, philosophizing about its origin and makeup, and then even looking inside one's heart and asking what it says about the existence and nature of God. And through this mixture of intuitive knowledge and rational inquiry, the humanity can discover some truths about God and the spiritual realm. So here's my point before we move on to the second thing, which is going to be a major shift change. And that is that it would be stupid and foolish and a heartless thing for any Christian to ever say that all the other world religions and all the other non-Christian forms of spirituality have got it all wrong and don't teach anything true about God. I'm telling you, that would be the most arrogant and foolish thing for a Christian to say. Why? Because it would go against the clear teachings of Scripture. It would be an unbiblical, even an anti-biblical thing to say. 
And yet the downright tragedy is, is that this is the way many Christians are, I think, deservedly perceived by our onlooking world. We're perceived as being closed-minded, arrogant, and quite frankly, insecure. We come across as those who have completely cornered the truth market. And if only these dumb people around us would get with the program, they might be saved as well. And though there might be a kernel of truth in some of that thinking, I'm telling you, that is not the posture you and I want to have to a seeking world. Amen? It's not. And yet it's how many of our brothers and sisters, maybe you, maybe me at times, come across. And it hurts our cause because the Bible itself affirms that when we're talking with our interested and seeking world, we have lots of things that we can affirm to them that they already have discovered about God. And they haven't even read our book. And they haven't even come to our church. I mean, to be sure about this, let's just think about what some of the other religions and worldviews say today. When Islam says that there is only one God, let me ask you a question. Are they right or wrong about that? Say it with me. Did you guys go to Sunday school? They're right about that. There's only one God. The Bible affirms that. I mean, it's like the whole message of the Old Testament that there is only one God, you shall have no other gods before me. So when Islam says there's only one God, they are absolutely right about that. Now, when they go on to say there's only one God and his name is Allah, <laughs> then we're going to have a discussion over that one. Because the Bible says, no, his name is Elohim or Yahweh or, or even Jesus, but, but it's not Allah. And so we're going to have a difference there. And we'll talk about why that difference exists in a minute. But just notice now that some of what they say about God is both true and, I would argue, meaningful. And by the way, almost every religion or religion has examples of this. When Buddhists say that we should meditate on spiritual things, are they right or wrong about that? They're right. As a Christian, you can say, hey, way to go. We all should meditate. Absolutely. Now, the nature and kind and focus of our meditation will be different in the way that we discuss things with Buddhists. And there'll be lots of room for discussion there, but there's an overlap of, of truth that they've discovered on their own. When Hinduism says that when we die, the soul goes on to an existence after this life, are they right or wrong? They're right. Wow. I, I mean, they've discovered a truth about God, the spiritual realm, that is absolutely right. Now, when they talk about reincarnation and things like that, then we'll say, well, see, the Bible talks about heaven and hell and, you know, eternity and things like that. So, so we have room for discussion there. But, but he's starting to see the overlap. How many of you ever heard the name Confucius? Raise your hand if you've heard of Confucius. Most of us have. Most of you have no idea who he was. He was a Chinese philosopher who lived about 500 B.C., way before even most world religions came into being. And Confucius, if you ever read his sayings, which I have, I'm telling you, I, I don't disagree. I agree with most of them because they're just very common sense spiritual truisms. Let me give you an example. This is the direct words of Confucius. He says, it is easy to hate and it is difficult to love. This is the whole scheme of how things work. All good things are difficult to achieve, and bad things are very easy to get. See, I read that and I go, oh my, that collates with my Christian worldview. That collates with the fall. I mean, I, do you guys believe that? I believe that. Uh, the Bible tells me that. The Bible says that I am so fallen that it's much easier for me to get up tomorrow and be a bad person than it is to be a good person. And it's true. 
Some of you don't want to admit it because you're not that in touch with your sinful nature. But the reality is, is that it's true. I have to fight for my righteousness. The Bible affirms that. It says that we are in a battle as Christians between the spirit and the flesh, waging war every day. And I don't know about you, but every day something confronts me in which I am tempted to respond out of my flesh. It'd be much easier to respond out of my flesh. And God says, whoa, don't do that. Respond out of the spirit who lives in you. Can any of you relate to that? Confucius is right. It's easy to hate. It's difficult to love. This is how things work. All good things are difficult to achieve and all bad things are easy to get. See, I can affirm that. And the reality is, is that in a fallen world, we need to be honest as Christians with the world around us that they do and can discover some meaningful and true things about God and that we need to affirm those things to them. Why? Because as soon as you do, there's a bridge. I mean, again, I I was on a plane just a little while ago and the guy next to me was reading a Hindu book and yet he wasn't Hindu. I could tell by the look on him and and, and, and he was reading this spiritual book that came out of Hinduism and and, and I said to him, I said, hey, that's an interesting book you're reading. I said, it's it's a spiritual book. Why are you reading that? And he said, well, you know, I'm kind of interested in seeking and somebody suggested this book to me and I said to him, oh, what's that book telling you? about the spiritual realm. And he started to share some of the truths with me. Now, can you imagine, as he started sharing those things with me, if I had done this? Really, it says that? That's wrong, that's just dead wrong. You see, the Bible says, in fact, let's open up the Bible right now, and the Bible says, if I had done that, I don't think that would have been all that winsome. And so what I did do is I listened to some of the things that he was saying, and I'll be frank with you, I mean, you know, some of the things you say, I'm like, oh my gosh, boy, that, that doesn't really collate with the Christian worldview. But, but then he said a few things about the spiritual realm that, that were just spot on. And so you know what I did? I jumped on those. And I said, boy, you know, that, that, what do you think of that? And he said, well, I think that sounds like, I said, I think that is true. That, that sounds like a really good point. And then I said, wouldn't it be amazing if God was really like that? Before you know it, we're having a discussion, an intelligent, winsome discussion, which I did did then get to say, because he said, why are you into this? (laughs) And I said, well, I'm I'm glad you asked. And, you know, (laughs) then at that point, he's asking me. And you see, I think to myself, what if more Christians were to be like this? What if we honored what the Bible says that in a fallen world, people can and do discover things about him that are true and meaningful. And let's overlap with those. That's the starting place for many of us. Now, obviously, the story does not end here. Uh, this fracturing of spiritual truth has played itself out much more deeply and thoroughly in the minds and hearts of humanity than most people realize. And so the second thing that the Bible tells us is this, and that is that fallen human nature twists and obscures, now here's the key phrase, sufficient and saving truth about God. I've thought long and hard about every word here, so let's repeat it one more time. Fallen humanity, fallen human nature twists and obscures sufficient and saving truth about God. So what are we saying by this? Follow the logic and the progression that we're, we're setting up here. Uh, fallen humanity, as we have seen, now has a fractured view of God and what he is like. That's where we started. And then we noted that they still can and do discern some meaningful things about God on their own through intuitive knowledge and rational inquiry that every human being has. 
But all the while, what the Bible says is that our fallen minds will, at the very least, on our best day, miss some key things about who God is and what he is like. And on our worst day, the Bible says that we will twist truth to what our fallen minds want to hear. And here's the most sobering fact, if you're at all open to that reality, and that is that the Bible says that because of this, fallen humanity does this to such a degree that the knowledge that they do find on their own, though meaningful, is not enough to bring them into a saving relationship with God. That's what the Bible affirms. This is the picture that it paints that in this fracturing of our view of God, we can still discover some things about God. Go to the cracked mirror. We can still see a partial image. It's just that the image we see is not enough on our own to understand what we need to understand about God. And we even take portions of that image and we twist it to what we want it to be. And so again, look at our passage before us today, Romans 1, the one that tells us that in a fallen world, people do discover certain truths about God on their own. And look at what it now goes on to say about what they do with that truth. Let's look at verses 21 to 23. It says, for even though they, all of humanity, knew God, meaning they knew about God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so there it is. There is this idea in describing all of humanity here of what we have done with the truth that we've discovered about God. And the key phrase there, and I put it in yellow, is that we take the truth that we discover and then we become futile in our speculations, futile in our understanding. That word futile actually means vain in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. It carries the idea of being proud or arrogant. And so in this context, it's simply referring to humanity, and tell me if this isn't true, that thinks that they can attain something like a core of spiritual truth all on their own, just using their own minds and their own ingenuity to master it. That's the picture being painted here. I mean, you and I can do that in our vocations. Maybe you've done it in your marriage. Maybe you nailed it in your parenting. Maybe you've nailed it in your hobby. The Bible says, fine, those things are child's play compared to understanding the almighty God who loves you. Compared to understanding what's truly wrong with your soul and what you need in order to reconnect with God. The Bible says that's a difficult thing. And the point simply being is that with the knowledge that you have all on your own, you can't do it. And even worse, what you tend to do is twist and obscure it and make a mess of it even more. And see, here's how I know this is true. And some of you are going to laugh at this, but I'm telling you, this is just, it, just, it, it, it seems so simple to me, is that you and I do this all the time on the human level. So what makes us think we wouldn't do it on the divine? You're saying, like, what? Uh, my wife was here last night, Kim, and uh, I, I asked Kim 
uh, in front of everybody if she loved me, which is a really setup right there. And she said, yes, she does. And, th and then I said to her, I said, you know, um, honey, are there are times where you and I are having an argument, like every week, because she has to live with me, and we're having an argument and about something, just a little spat. And, and I'll say, tell me if this hasn't happened to you, I'll say, but you know, Kim, you said this morning, and then I'll say what she said this morning, and she'll look at me and say, I never said anything remotely like that. And has that ever happened to you guys? I, I mean, that happens to Kim and I all the time. Or I'll say, hey, don't you remember when I said it? She'll say, you never said that. And, and, and there are times where I go, I wish I had a tape recorder, but that would make it even worse. And so I don't want to do that. But how many times have your boss said something or your best friend said something or your kid has said something or even you're watching the news and you walk away and you think you heard something you're convinced you heard it the way you heard it, and then you go back and you realize you didn't hear it right. Any of us humble enough to admit that happens to us every now and then? And see, here's my simple point. If we can do that with each other, then what makes us think we don't do that with God? And that's, what, that's all what God is saying here. He's saying that, you know, yeah, you got rational minds, you got intuitive knowledge, and, and, and you guys are wonderful creation of mine, and you discover certain things on your own about me, and then you twist it. And, and you misunderstand it, and even worse, you make it, now we're going to get somewhere with this, you, you make it into what you want it to be. And see, now we're at the crux of it. And this is what is so sobering. This is the state that the Bible says that the vast majority of religions and spiritual worldviews and philosophies are in when it comes to their understanding of him. How can you have so many choices? Well, it all goes back to the fall. And we got a whole fallen world that is spiritually thirsty, can discover some things on their own, but they're also very good at, at twisting things or not fully understanding things, but not admitting that they don't fully understand things. And when they just try to discover these truths on their own and then latch on to some things that are true and good, but never finding the core, and then they make an entire religion out of it or an entire philosophy out of it, now we have what we have. I brought the whiteboard up here, and maybe this will... Help us see it. I tend to think in simple stick figures, so uh, let's, uh, let's just do that. So uh, here's what the Bible is saying. We have obviously God. Uh, let's put him up high where he belongs, up here. And, and what we're learning here today, what Romans 1 is affirming, is that over hundreds and thousands of years, you will get humanity coming together in different cultures and in different ways. And because there are things evident within them and evident to them about God, they reach up toward God to try to understand him. And so if you've ever read history, I'm telling you, I mean, the Greek philosophers before Jesus came to this earth, man, they had so many wonderful insights about the nature of reality and even the nature of spiritual reality as they were trying to make their way up to God. And then obviously you have, you know, let's talk about maybe the Enlightenment, which was another philosophical movement way after the Greek period. You know, during the Enlightenment, the age of reason, there were so many discoveries that we had about economies and cultures and science and things like that. And even th things about God that people came up with, you know, and their understanding of him as they made their way up to God. 
And then you got, you know, the whole major religion system, you know, in this world. I mean, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, even forms of Christianity that we try to codify and make into a bunch of rules and things like this. And before you know it, you got all these religions that are grouping together, you know, to form their own religion because we have this understanding of God. And then you have whole other thoughts, you know, New Age spirituality, postmodernism. I mean, the list is endless. That when human beings get together, now watch this, in a fallen world, because, and try to understand some things about God on their own, and they form pockets over the years like this, this is the picture you get. That they're all trying to reach God and understand him. But this is the sobering fact that the Bible says and this is the whole point, really, of this message. And that's that the Bible says there's eventually a limit, a glass ceiling, if you will, that humanity is incapable of breaking through because of our fallen nature that puts all of these groups in one group, and that is that none of them are fully or even rightly understanding God. That's what the Bible affirms. And it's kind of a sobering picture, but that's the reality that it paints. And so if this is true, if this is the state that humanity is in, then the question becomes, and this is the $10 question, how do we then find God, right? I mean, if it's true that our view of spiritual truth as humanity is now fractured, leaving us with some but not sufficient knowledge of God, then how do we find our way home? And the answer is going to surprise you somewhat because God's answer to our question, to my question, is this. You're asking the wrong question. In fact, you got it completely backwards because God says the question is not, how do you find me? The question becomes, how do I find you? The question becomes, if you can't reach me, do I love you enough? Am I willing to go through the paces, God says, to reach you? And in history, God answered that question to you and me, and it all comes back to Jesus Christ. Because here's the third thing that you need to understand about this idea of truth and why there are so many religions and what God's answer is to this. And that is that only God's revelation in Jesus Christ can provide sufficient and saving knowledge of God. Guys, here is the amazing and grace-filled picture that the Bible paints. And that is that in a world that is lost, and cannot see its way clear to a needed and necessary understanding of God on its own and how to know him as father and friend, God, realizing that we can't reach him on our own, decided to reach us instead. And he did so by sending and revealing himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's complete the connection here. This is what God says eventually happened in what we call salvation history. And that is that when God saw all of this and all the mess that we have created, he decided to take care of that glass ceiling that we could not break ourselves and decided to reach us in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And this is why Christians have said for 2,000 years that Jesus' claims, what Jesus did for us, is universal in scope and nature because it reaches all of us. And this is the reality that the scriptures present before us. Let's look at one more scripture, though, that we're sure about this, because I keep saying the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, here it is, has spoken to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. I love this verse. So it tells us what we already know, that God has spoken all throughout the centuries and the years in the Old Testament through the prophets, but then in many portions and many ways, we've seen that in creation and through rationality and intuitive knowledge and things like that. But in these last days, the days we're living in now, God decided to finally make the full connection to just to deal with the gap and spoke to us in his son, Jesus. And so this is the reality that we're left with, that God, knowing that we couldn't reach him on our own, decided to reach us. And 2,000 years ago, rooted in history, almost no historian doubts that Jesus Christ was born into this world. And Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life among us. He taught us things about God. And what you kept on referring to God as what? Father, 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 Father. And he basically said, you can know God as Father. And then Jesus did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that is that he went to a cross, bore our sin upon himself, so that we might be forgiven, solving our biggest problem in all of life. And that is the separation we have of God from God because of our sin. And Jesus died to forgive us of our sins and says, now you need to believe and trust in me. Why? Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the special and needed revelation of God, both the understanding as well as the pathway. And without Jesus, the Bible's clear. Jesus was clear. We don't know God. And so let me blow your mind even more. Once you understand this, once you understand these three points we're looking at here today, that in a fallen world full of lots of fractured truth, people can and do discover some things about God, but what they do discover, point two, is not enough to save them or sufficient enough to bring us to God. And then number three, God decided to bridge the gap by sending Jesus for us. Once you understand that, here's what you're ready to now understand. And that is Christianity does not claim that we have found God. You guys need to jettison that one from your understanding. I hate it when Christians basically present Christianity like this. Well, out of all the competing worldviews and truth claims out there, Christianity has done the best at philosophizing about God and discovering who God is like, what God is like, and we can take on any worldview, and we can shut them down, and we can show how they are false and we are right. I'm telling you, that is not the Christian truth claim. Christianity does not claim that we have found God. It claims that God has found us. That would have been a great place for an amen. Christianity does not claim, <laughs> claims that God has found us. Amen. amen. That's the point of all of this. You see, we're not being arrogant or even in, or exclusive when we talk about Jesus. In fact, we couldn't be more humble and inclusive. That's what we have to tell people. That, that we're not trying to say, we have found the way and you haven't. 
We're saying that for the longest time, we were lumped with a lot of you. <laughs> and in many ways, we still are. Because without the revelation of Jesus, we'd have nothing. As, as Ephesians 2 said, we would be lost and bound for hell if we did not understand the revelation of Jesus to us. So we're not saying that we're any different, if you will, from the fallenness of this world. We're simply saying that we understand that God came to reach all of us in Jesus Christ. And as I've argued for years, this is one of the most inclusive worldviews, one of the most inclusive understandings of God that you will ever get. Because God sent Jesus to reach all of us. He sent Jesus to reach all of lost humanity who needs to come and know him. And so again, the claim that we have is not that we have found God. We use that word, that language way too often. No, here's the claim. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ. That's the claim, Romans 5 verse 8. You see, that, that understanding recognizes our lost state and the need that we have for God to make the next move and the claim that he did in Jesus. That's what we're simply saying here. And that the Bible says one final thing, and it's John chapter 1, that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what we're asking of the world around us what you're asking of your lost friend, your lost neighbor, your lost coworker, your lost son, your lost daughter, your lost, lost relative, whatever it is in your world, what you're simply asking them to do is to be open to Jesus and the fact that he loves all of us and that he came for all of us and that he calls all of us to believe and accept him as the revelation from God and to trust him for eternal life. So let's forever deal with this issue before us. How can there be so many pathways among us? Finish the statement with me. It all goes back to the fall. Now you understand why. In the fall, our view of truth became fractured and even eclipsed. And going deeper in that, to be sure, we can and do discover some wonderful and even scary things about God on our own, using our own devices like our minds and our intuitive knowledge and looking around at creation. But the same knowledge we discover bummer cannot lead us to a sufficient and saving knowledge of God. The Bible affirms that. And yet God, who loves you and who loves me, decided to not leave us there, but came to us in Jesus Christ so that you might know him, so that I might know him. And we must believe. And I hope you do. And I hope you help others do as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you uh, that once again, your word and your truth is so utterly clear to us when it comes to some of the difficult questions that we ask this side of heaven. And Lord, one of the questions we've seen today that so many people ask is, how can there be so many pathways? How can there be so many choices when it comes to spirituality, especially if the answer seems obvious? And Father, we've seen uh, what the answer is at today. That, Lord, as, a, as human beings, as those who are fallen and very imperfect, we are capable, even on our best day, of making a mess of things. We do so, Lord, in our relationships and at work and in our families and in our communities. Why not with you? And so, Father, you've helped us to see that. But, Lord, I thank you that the operative word here is your grace and that Jesus came to us full of grace, full of truth, so that we might forever 
know you eternally and even now as the one true God who loves us and is not only capable but willing to forgive us of all of our sin and bring us to you. So God, I pray for each person here and in our campuses and venues that as we think about these things, first and foremost, we'd ask ourselves, is this true for me? Do I believe and trust in Jesus in this way? And Lord, as we do, continue to give us the assurance that we are yours and you are ours because you have found us in Christ. And then, Father, I pray that we'd also have the, the selflessness to ask the question, are we posturing our lives to the relationships around us so that we might have these kind of discussions? Are we asking curious questions? Are we inviting people to, to church or other events? Are we investing in their lives, God, uh, with a care and love that might help them see how Jesus came for them as well? Help us to do that, Father, I pray. And may you be glorified and honored in all of this. And I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And the church says together, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.